Alison Marquez is my executive coach at Drew Jealousy Consulting, and I was really excited to have her on as a guest. So if you try to look up Elsa, you'll see that it's a little bit hard to find her. She's one of those folks you just have to know. And though she's been in the work for over 20 years, what part of my selfish motivation of having her on was sharing her genius and expertise with the world. So you're in for a treat, folks. You're going to see how Elsa works her coaching magic. You'll see a little bit of how she does it with me in, in real time and get to experience her her wisdom. So enjoy this Rondurns episode. Hey folks, we got Rondurns on tap and I have a mentor, my executive coach, Elsa Marquez on the mic with us. And to say that I'm super duper excited, amped to have her be a guest is an understatement. She's been supporting me at Agility Consulting in my associate partner role for over a year and change. And I couldn't think of another guest to have dispense her wisdom and for us to, in some ways, have some of the conversations that we have that aren't ever recorded to give you a snippet of that. So Elsa, welcome. Ron, thanks so much for having me. And what a kind introduction. I'm going to try to live up to all that. Elsa, I don't think I can even describe you in words. If I can draw a picture or do some like spirit animal or something else, that would be not even the best approximation of you. So just uh, to start us off, Elsa, what's your story? Ron, my story is the story of promise and the story of what you can do if you can imagine. And my work for many years now has been around helping folks find voice and choice through leadership development, as you know, because you and I talk about this semi-weekly. So my story is just a story of a person who came to understand the power of leadership in daily life and how it can transform communities and shape our our society. Mm. How did you come to know that that was what you were meant to do, Elsa, or at least where you would spend a lot of your time? Like anything else, Ron, it kind of happened to me. Yeah. Uh, as great things in life often do. And I found myself moving through a trajectory in a career where I was doing interesting work. And I, I reflect now that I was in big rooms doing big work. And I started to wonder about why that was working for me. And I came to a saturation point And I thought, well, what I know how to do, I think is a, a valuable thing. And I'm going to do my level best to teach it and to make it available and help as many people as I can reach those big rooms. So it sounds like Elsa, this is something you came into a little bit later in your career, correct? And so I'm curious, mm-hmm. what what experiences along the way were formative for you to know, this is what I'm meant to do. And I love this, um, finding voice and choice through leadership development. How did you know that, that what, what formed that? Listen, I, I blame my parents. I was born this way, you know, to an extent. <laughs> so okay. I, I often joke about how I, boy, I give them credit, right? I was a, a child with a very definitive mind made up early. But even with that being sort of my resting place, I started to look at the workplace as a, an extension of my curiosity, an extension, a place to explore what makes people move up, move ahead. I always wanted 
to understand how impact is made in the world. And so I, you're right, I came into my early 40s saying to myself, I think I have something that I understand, not a methodology per se, but a pathway that I recognize that has allowed me to make good choices in a career trajectory. And so I started to think about the, the, the core of that kept coming back to teaching and mentoring the folks who taught me and mentored me and the folks who I think I was fortunate enough to do my part to teach and mentor as well. It started to make sense to me that these were teachable functions. They were teachable skills. And so in my early forties, I decided to open up my practice and I've been in practice now, <laughs> you know, three <laughs> years. <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll blank that out. <laughs> 20. Uh, but it was because I, I think I came to understand that I understood the workplace specifically and how to get into those bigger opportunities. So tell me, we've riffed on this, right? Because a lot of our coaching sessions, which makes me feel all warm and fuzzy, are often coaches coaching conversations, right? So Elsa, riff a little bit about how you would even begin to describe your coaching style and how you help your, your clients. Ron, it's a it's an evolution, right? Okay. I know this. I don't coach today the way I did twenty years ago. Twenty years ago, coaching wasn't even really a, a conversation in most workplaces. And now we have seen the benefit of having coaches, and so it's much more fluent in the workplace. But you know, I I have gotten to the place where I do the proverbial meeting people where they are in my coaching. And so yeah. I know you and I have talked about how I am not a terribly scripted coach. I'm not a person who comes in. I often tell people there are coaches who have wonderful books and they have wonderful resources. What I've learned to do, what is sort of my specialty, is to diagnose and listen and partner with the person that I'm supporting to help them hear themselves. Ron, you've heard me say this so many times. They need to hear themselves. And from that come the decisions and the confidence of the decisions that lead to success. So my style has, has it continues to evolve. It's definitely conversational, definitely starts with diagnosis, asking questions, really listening and trying to help folks, again, hear themselves. Yeah. Is there a particular moment, Elsa, in your coaching career that best exemplifies this approach you have today? Well, I think there are little moments every day when I'm in the work. Mm -hmm. What I can tell you is that I have some sort of methodology or some sort of approach that gets immediate results. And I have studied that a great deal. And I, I try to understand folks as quickly as I can to get them to change their behaviors. And what I find, Ron, is that so often it's a question of self-awareness. It's mm. a question of personal custody for change. And that takes some talking, that takes some questions, that takes some support. And what I hear, again, most often from the folks who hire me, you know, the bosses is, we see the change immediately. And I say to them, yes, because now that person can hear him or herself. So it sounds like also what you're saying, right? There's something, we you know, when I work at a, one of the nonprofits I worked at, one of the selection criteria that we had was self-awareness to the commitment of ongoing learning. And I felt like it was implicitly said that it is hard to teach someone how to grow their self-awareness. 
it sounds as if you're telling me that you can grow someone's self-awareness. So I, I'd love you to riff on that, right? I, because a lot of hiring managers, oh, no, I, I don't know, I'll teach that. <laughs> and so it sounds like you're saying you, you, you can build a space for it, right? So tell me more. Absolutely. And yeah. you know, Ron, what I love to tell people is it's not even really that hard, right? I think we live in a space and time where everything seems complex. Everything seems like there should be 50 steps. And I specialize in straightforward and, and quick, right? And um, focused and laser, laser focused. So I have studied with folks how to get to that self-awareness. So I'm going to tell you the three pillars that I understand. Okay. First pillar is I need to help folks see that there's a need, right? To even become aware of a need. If I can do that, that is the beginning of awareness. The second pillar is will. Do I want to change? What's in it for me? Why should I care what my boss is saying? Why should I care what my staff is complaining about? Uh, Why should I do this self-work? But the most important pillar is the third pillar, and that is the pillar around action. Because a lot of folks get the understanding or the awareness, then they do the the value proposition, do I want to do this? Do I have the will to change? But they think they finished the work. What I need to help them do is to ground it into action, to say this is how the behavior shifts. This is how you need to show up. This This is how people will measure that you actually have made a shift. And so I don't find that terribly complicated. So you and I talk about this, right? And I I think at some level, the space that you and I are at, because we are practitioners, right? That this awareness to will to action seems, dare I say, intuitive, right? My my physics teacher in high school, like, that's intuitively obvious. Come on, folks. I was like, wait, what? You mean electromagnetism is truly obvious? Maybe to... Henry Liu, but not to me. <laughs> so I'm curious when you work with folks along this continuum, right? That while the process seems simple, there's always some barriers. And I want to dig into, I think, where I've seen challenges in my own coaching experience is going from will to action. How do you help people go from like, I know I need to make the change. I get it. I built you where, oh, I'm afraid. I'm afraid, Elsa. What do I do? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, fear is um, the mother of frustration, right? So I try to keep people away from fear. And I do my level best to help folks take small, incremental, but sustainable steps. And in those shifts, people begin to see themselves differently. And I've learned that if folks can begin to see themselves differently, they can imagine a different outcome. Mm. So in a coaching session... You know, Ram, somebody will say, I, but I don't know how, but, and I say, okay, let's walk through it. And what would it look like? It's the, the sister idea to hearing yourself clearly. Yeah, fear, fear can hold you back, but I think fear is often a waste of time. I think um, frustration is often a waste of time. I, I tell folks you can uh, turn, churn, and burn to put a timer on it. Limit how much turn, churn, and burn you have and figure out instead how to ground into action, small incremental steps that get you to a behavioral shift. And I find that it works. Hmm. What's your ideal client look like, Elsa? 
Well, you, Ron, <laughs> I, love, I love A students. Um, you know, I don't, I, I deal with such a tricky- <laughs> And I didn't pay you to say that either. Look at that, folks. Did not Never. pay Elsa no. to say that. And I only speak the truth, right? I always tell you nobody makes Elsa say or do anything Elsa doesn't want to say or do. That, that. <laughs> I don't know about an ideal client, Ron, but I do appreciate people who have come to a moment where- they want to do the work sincerely. And it can be anyone from a high schooler all the way to a seasoned professional. And when I can connect with someone who truly wants to do the work, I am in it to win it with that. And I will, I will really partner and be that person they can turn to. But I'm also just a set of training wheels. Like my goal as a coach is for people to kick me off. I don't, I don't want to be having the same conversation with folks for one, two, three, four years. I want to see change. Hmm. Is there a story of a changer you've been proud of recently in a client that you've had? Bra- brag about someone and the, and the change you've, you've made with them without giving away all the details, of course. Well, you know, Ron, I, I'm um, a person who doesn't love the humble brag, but I will say that recently I had a conversation with a client. Uh, they employ thousands of folks. And they reached out to me to say, do you have any idea how many people who you've coached in our organization have moved up to bigger positions and important positions? Wow. And your track record is unbelievable. And I, I don't dwell in the space of the success. I dwell in the space of the challenge. But Ron, I have to admit, it felt great to celebrate with them that I've coached some 60 people in their organization over five years. And the feeling was that it was a really worthwhile journey that we started together. So that was wonderful. And they come in all shapes and sizes, these folks, right? In all different levels. But I'm proud if I've done anything to help these folks reach, have bigger reach in the world. And they do important work. They do important social justice work. So I'm very proud of that. Was that an explicit goal you set with that client? Because I'm, I'm about to take this somewhere around your approach and what I understand. So I'm curious, was that a goal that you set with the client or was that a organic thing that happened because of the magic of your coaching, Elsa? Oh, well, thank you. Thanks for that. Um, <laughs> I, I set it with every client and I don't necessarily have to verbalize it. I, I mm. As I said to you at the beginning of our conversation today, it matters to me to help people get reach into the bigger rooms. I think that's where change really happens. And as a person who's been doing community-facing work for over 40 years now, I, I think the only way to truly affect the things that I think are important to affect is by sustaining and supporting folks to get to those big, the places of big impact and big change, where the big decisions are made, whether they're governmental, whether no matter what sector they're in, and to show up in those spaces in their core of confidence, in voice and choice. And truly, if, if we could all do that, if we could all support really the really capable folks, right, to get into those bigger rooms, I think we would have more enduring change in the things that I want to see continue to change and in this world. Elsa, I think you and I have talked about this, right? There's some, There's an alchemy to what you do. And maybe you're already doing this, I forget, but... How do you package what Elsa does and get train other coaches if you're not already doing it? Like there's something about your approach that reminds me of what an incredible jazz musician does, right? Mm-hmm. They understand the fundamentals, but their ability to improvise and innovate 
is based on the context and wealth is in the room, right? So tell me, if you were to build this, like more folks with this kind of approach, what would it look like if you're not already doing it? Well, I do a version of it, of course, because I do have the honor of being asked, how did you do what, how did you get to do what you do, Elsa? And how can I also help the world if I want to be a coach? It's something that I'm very open to talking about because I think we need great practitioners, Ron. And I know you and I have talked a great deal about this. Mm. The alchemy, I think, happens based on a couple of things. One is truly understanding the value of my singular life experience. So I very much know who I am. I understand who I am. And I think the result of knowing that allows me to approach people in that maybe overused concept of authenticity. I'm authentically who I am. People don't have to guess about who I am. And I think it gets us to trust much earlier. I'm very predictable in my work. In other words, it's rhythmic with me. And I, I try to understand the pace of what needs to change with someone and, and construct around that and support folks to get to that place where they see the change they want. As far as how I do it, well, you and I've talked about this alchemy over and over and over. I hope I'm a good listener. I work really hard, not just to listen, but to listen for certain keys, certain people take me where they need me to go. They don't always know that they did, but I feel like I'm a professional diagnostician in terms of what I get from conversations. And my work is driven by conversations, right? And I'm a Socratic coach in that I, I love the power of a question. Mm. And so I, I often joke, and I think you've heard me say this, I don't know much about much, but I do know how to ask a question. Yeah. So also, I'm going to put you on the spot, right? Because I'm comfortable with our coaching relationship being put so folks can really see this, right? Is there a powerful question or two that you remember asking me that helped drive my leadership, my deepening, my awareness? Very first conversation, Ron. <laughs> I asked you about how you see yourself. Hmm. And your answer was so rich. It was so multidimensional. I, I listened and it was so directional even that I knew I was already engaging with a high-level practitioner, somebody who understood the value of coaching, not just for yourself as a person who's going to receive it, but someone who likes to give it and likes to practice it. And so we didn't spend a lot of time reworking the fundamentals because you had so much strength fundamentally in our first conversation. And I remember saying to you, oh, we're not going to have to start at A. We can jump in at L. We can jump right in at L. I don't need to start with A with you. That question and the way you answered it wrong mm. was so important. You make me feel like LeBron James here, Elsa. <laughs> hey, listen, I LeBron, L, you jumped in at L, it all works. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Elsa, I want to go back to something you said earlier. Mm -hmm. I know I asked you, what's your story? I'm going to ask you to deepen it. One of the things you said that allows you to be an incredible coach is that you know who you are. You know you know who you are. Mm. Elsa, tell our audience, who is Elsa Marquez? Quien eres tú? Quien soy yo? Yeah. All right. Um, <laughs> well, I call, well. Myself, I call myself, Ron, as you know, a Latina of a certain age. So I've got to admit, I've, I've lived a life. 
I'm a person who would like to support great people making impact. Uh, I'm a person who was self-aware, I think, very early in my life and a person who understands the value of calculated risk. My, my life and certainly my career have been built around so many opportunities and some of them seemed risky. Even opening up my own practice was tricky, right? But almost 20 years later, I look back and I think, I'm glad I trusted myself. I, I very much trust myself. And I know I've said this to you, I have a statement I make, especially if there are difficult coachings going on where somebody's maybe having a bit of, a, of, a, of an emotional challenge. And I say, them, I say to them, I know I'm right about you because I have a saying, I trust Elsa. And then they smile and they go, okay. <laughs> and I say, you got to trust me because I trust me. Uh, I know we're going to get where, we're, where you want to go because I see it already in you. Uh, so I trust Elsa, Ron. That's so powerful because I think most folks that we encounter, Elsa, they don't trust themselves. Mm-hmm. And that's okay, right? Everything's at a continuum. I can't even look you in the eye and say that I always a hundred thousand percent trust myself, but Elsa, you've seen in our relationship, when I trust myself, you hear it. Like, I don't hide it at all, <laughs> right? It's a unequivocal, like shot it from the rooftops. Elsa, I have conviction in my decision, but let me test it with you, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. yeah, conviction is such a good word, Ron. And I often ask myself, I have a very rigorous preparation process. I think we've talked about that. And so I yes. don't, ever phone in my process. I'm very engaged in my process, always working to stay relevant in an ever-changing world, always looking to bring rigor into my practice. If I didn't trust myself, if I didn't trust what motivates me, I might not jump in as deeply with people because I might wonder whether I, quote unquote, have what it takes to get them to the other end. And so understanding and trusting myself is a predicate for me. It's required for me because if I'm asking you to trust me, I have to start by trusting myself, knowing my my challenges, knowing what I do well, knowing what I need to do better, knowing my temperament, knowing all of those things so that I'm a worthy, a worthy Sherpa, a worthy navigator. I've got to trust that I know where I'm taking people. Elsa, there's something that you said around this idea of trust though, I wanna deepen a little bit, right? Especially around, I'm sure there are times you've worked with folks and it just didn't work out, right? And as it relates to something you just said around, I gotta know myself and my challenges and other things. Are there are there clients that just don't work well with you from what you found? And not just the, well, Ron, they don't trust themselves, so obviously, <laughs> right? But like, Let's deepen this a little bit around Elsa's challenge by these things. So therefore, those are things that sometimes can get in the way of coaching relationships because they, they do, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk about how someone might come to me. So mm-hmm. if, a, if an employer hires me, if an entity, an organization hires me, that's one way that I can enter into those relationships. Sometimes folks are referred to me individually, right? So I'll, bring, I'll have a conversation with an individual. Uh, sometimes that somebody I've started at a place and then someone learns about me and reaches out. So people come to me in different ways. If someone has a very specific need and someone says to me, look, I prefer 
for example, to be coached by a man because there are things that I want to talk about with a man, I'm not, I, I respect that. That's not a point of debate for me. I'm not going to try to say, oh, I can also help you. That's, that's not it. But by and large, a coach, you know, I'm sure thousands of people by now over, over the time that I've been doing this mm. and or trained, you know, thousands of people by now, I would say it's rare for me not to be able to help if someone truly wants to make a change. And my work faces the workplace. That's my specialty, right? Leadership in the context of the workplace. And while it touches life, of course, and people's lives, it's, I'm not a life coach. Mm. So if people are looking to grow their career, if people are wondering why their careers are stalled, if people are having conflict issues, if people are having challenges in the workplace, if people just want to move ahead and, and they want to learn the bigger skill sets, I'm quite, I think, quite easy for them to, to work with. Where I do have issues is if someone is assigned to me because they've because they need some support and they either don't think they need it or don't want it, then I have to have the clarifying conversations about, hey, listen, I'm not, uh, I'm not going to just hang out with you. This is work. And if you don't want to do the work, we'll find a nice way to tell your boss, but I'm not going to waste people's times and assets. You know, this is work. Yeah. And I think sometimes folks forget that, right? It's uh, that when you're in a coaching relationship, it's not just, you know, chirping right? Mm -hmm. Especially with your idea of awareness to will to action, right? There's action you want to hear from your clients is not just enough to say, well, I'm going to talk with Elsa and just complain. No, no, that doesn't work. Right. Um, um, that, that's not a good look for folks. Yeah, I, uh, one of the taglines in my business is, um, you know, working with me, you work with someone who's not afraid to be judged by results. And results are really important to me. In the day when I was hiring support in the workplace for my team, I looked for results. And so I hold myself to the same standard. Wow, Elsa, I can go in so many different directions here. Gosh, you know, something that you mentioned earlier around trying to get my train of thought back here is how you stay relevant, right? And so I'm going to tie this into something that I find that I think in, in my current context can be challenging at times, right? Is that the generational divide? You know, how do you stay relevant with understanding? And like, look, no one's a monolith. I think we know that, right? To say that all Gen Zers act this way or millennials ask this way is, is dangerous, right? And yet you and I are really astute on seeing patterns. How does Elsa stay relevant on this stuff so that when you're talking to someone who's in their mid-20s or their mid early thirties that there's a, a way for you to reach them. They don't just see you someone or else is that coach who's reached a certain age and she just hasn't seen it. She doesn't get how we operate. She doesn't get these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Relevant, staying relevant is a, it's a 24 seven job for me. Right. And helps that I coach myriad different populations. So I, and, and train, right. I'm a trainer as well. So I have the privilege of interfacing with, junior high school and high school students. You want to stay relevant? Hang out with them. I remember yeah. <laughs> I told you, I've told you stories where they'll say something and I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And then they go, oh, Elsa, we have to explain this to you. You, you need Aww. to know this. So that's, that's wonderful. Yeah. Um, and you know, Ron, I would give you this context about what I more often hear. What I more often hear, especially from younger practitioners, younger leaders in the workplace, 20s, 30s, 
is, I know you've been there. I, I hear by how you're helping me that you understand where I'm trying to go. And so much of my work is in, I call it being a professional, a professional uh, gap filler. I'm a professional mm-hmm. gap filler. I help folks look at the long road of, that they're on and say, okay, here's what this, miles, this, this milestone should be. Here's what this milestone should be. Here's how you get to this kind of job. Where are you headed? One of the first things I ask folks is, where are you going? Right? I know you have a need right now. We're going to get to that. But what does 15 years from now look like? Because it's going to affect how we handle what's right in front of you right now. And I think especially for younger practitioners, the advantage of that is what wins them over very quickly. Like nobody's ever asked me that. They say, I I know, but I'm going to ask you and we're going to put a plan together. And it's not even about you necessarily getting to that exact place. It's about who you become when you imagine where you could go. And especially, I think, in community-facing work, we want to constantly be with folks in that sense of imagination, because so often folks can't imagine what's out there for them. But because you and I have been in the bigger rooms, we know what's out there. And we go, oh, you could do this. Really? Is that? Yes. There's a job that looks like this, or there's a profession that looks like this, or there's a, a set of skills that will get you here. And so... That, I think, is an advantage. I tend to look at my experience now very much as an advantage to my clients because, you know, been there, done that. So this idea of having your clients imagine, right? And I would dare say imagine what is possible. Imagine what has not been created before. You know, something I, I, I often follow a lot in that vein is what jobs are out there, right? Especially in this climate of, I guess what we're calling a recession, inflation somewhat decreasing, right? But it's still for many people in America, to just speak of American context, um, not an easy job market, right? And so I'd be curious from the conversations you've been just having coaching people, like what are people imagining, right? Not, Not what you can read in LinkedIn or Forbes or CNN. What are people imagining you'd want our audience to hear? Yeah, that's such a great question, Ron, because there are definite threads in these conversations that are happening now in my work that that are newer and really result of mostly of the COVID experience. You know, the COVID experience was a reset button for many folks. Mm. And I think folks are asking about relevancy. They're asking about impact. They're asking about quality of life. They're asking about priorities. And while everyone will answer those things differently, I think folks are in a space of imagining something different than what they know. How that all shakes out, I read the same things that you read. I I have the same conversations everyone's having. What do you really want? And in my case, my question to folks is, how can I help you get there? And, you know, often something that, you know, trips people up is I want to own a house and I want to try, I want to be a nomad. Well, with, you know, we have, those are two very separate roads here. Let's figure this out together. (laughs) Um, I want to, I really want to get my PhD and be a professor, but I also have a chance to move to Belize with my in-laws who just moved there and maybe I'll do that. Well, let's figure that out because those are two very separate roads. I think it's an exciting time. And I, I'm a very, I very much support folks truly asking what matters to me. I think it's a, an important inflection point societally, it, you know, certainly 
the way that the American workplace is shaping up right now is going to have incredible impact and, and implications. Uh, my job as a coach is to listen, query, and help support people to that vision. You do so much else to help folks create, right? It's such a incredible thing, like to even hear you in this conversation, right? Even though your intent is not to coach me, right? Because that's not how we're having this conversation. Like I'm getting coaching tips here, right? Around your structure, around your lessons, around how you're seeing the world, right? And so um, as I think about a potential title for this, and I'm just going to put it into existence, right? Because it's what you started with. It's like, Ron, I help clients find voice and choice in leadership development. So I'm going to do a little bit of a constructed rendering here for you. And you can take as long as you want because we've got time where we can keep going and this stuff can, you know, can go. We'll edit later. Yeah, absolutely. Is what's your rendering around finding voice and choice in leadership development? I'll let you riff. Well, you know, Ron, I love that. I love that question. And it is very much what I thought about when, when you originally said, you know, I'm going to ask you, what are you, what is the rondering? What are your ronderings now? And we've touched on relevancy and we've touched on what is it, and this question that I wake up to every day, like, what does it take for me to be the great practitioner I want to be? I'm not going to say I'm a great practitioner. That's really not up to me to say, but I want to be one. So I want to wake up with curiosity. I I wonder how I can stay vital. I wonder how I can continue to to stay engaged, to invite rigor and difficulty into my life, although sometimes it makes me crazy. But I I really do, I do love a big nut to crack. And I think about it a lot, obsessively sometimes, honestly, because I, I don't know how else to do it. I only know the speed that I run at. And I'm a person who, you know, I'm always like you, because I know this is true of you as well. I'm always reading. I'm always researching. I'm always looking. I'm asking questions. I, I know tons of really smart people like you, Ron, who when I work with you, when I talk with you, and now as a colleague and a friend, when we engage, I walk away smarter. And I, I want that to stay in the energy of what I'm trying to give in my work. And I don't, I don't have a lot of separation from my work, right? Because it's me, it's the brand, it's, it's who I am. Mm. Uh, but my wanderings are really around how to keep that vital and rigorous and alive and thriving. Uh, you know, as I said, I'm a Latina of a certain age now. Yeah. I don't know that I have, you know, <laughs> one day I may wake up and I'm not going to be able to link it down in a verb anymore. Right, the day will come, and so I want it. I want to do this as best as I can do it, the best I can do it, for as long as I can do it, and hopefully, the result will be more folks saying this was worth it. I got something from this. I'm. I see myself differently now. I can do what I can imagine now. Elsa, you talked about finding rigor and challenges, right? This is where you and I are, you know, very similarly constructed. Something that is bringing a lot of rigor into my life these days is taking adult beginner swim classes. It <laughs> is, as a 47-year-old who still has, I don't have full competency in swimming, fam. I do not want to put that out there that I'm this incredible swimmer. I'm still learning how to side breathe properly. 
I don't really know how to tread water yet, right? You know, I move well enough in water, but I don't know how to really breathe so that I'm not expending a ton of energy, right? But I can move in water, which is progress, right? And so there's a certain rigor of doing something that is so outside of what I normally do because it's not only new to me, but the way that my body's constructed it's something I really should have started learning when I was two or three, when I was younger. So it would have been like riding a bike. Like the fact that I know how to ride a bike because I learned it young, I can get on now. It's just autopilot. Like swimming is just like, what is, I've been on land, but like what, how do you move in water and hips and my legs are thick because of the way I work out. And so Elsa, my last question is for you is like, what's keeping you, what are you learning that's really rigorous that keeps you on your toes? <laughs> oh, Ron. <laughs> uh, well, I, I'm going to give you my honest answer, and then I'm going to give you my philosophical one. We'll see which one makes it, or if both or pieces of it make it on the, on the podcast. So the truth is, what's giving me a, a real stretch is social media and learning that journey, which is mm -hmm. why doing this podcast is so huge, because yeah. I, I can tell you, I really had to rev up for this, because it's new to me, right? It's not my, it's not something I do. So that that's my answer in terms of personal growth and development. That's what's going on. I would say that facing my practice, what I find rigorous is um, keeping up with the ever-growing expectations that the workplace makes of the people, makes to the people that I support, right? That, that it's, that the technology's changing and everybody's professionally distracted and they're trying to figure out how to how to leverage their work and they're trying to figure out how to how to do important how to make important contributions with the react respond stop do this finish that hurry up there's there's a challenge in getting folks to find time to be thoughtful and i believe leadership requires thoughtfulness being full of thought and one of the first things that I work with my clients on, as you know, Ron, because we've talked about this, is you've got to make time for yourself mm. once or twice a day to be in reflection, to ask, why am I doing this work? And is this still the best way to do it? Have I done enough of this? Is it time to move to that? To, to take that, that breath to make sure that the energy we're putting out is actually impactful. Mm. So I would say thoughtfulness, the, the, the rigor of the workplace, the demands of the workplace and figuring out how to be thoughtful are ever present on my mind. Yeah. I feel like we can have a follow-up episode on this idea of thoughtfulness and finding space. It's something I think you and I have talked a lot about. I, I don't want to say I'm great at it, but I would say that I have a lot of thoughts on it and I think I do it reasonably well a lot of the time, right? And that I am not an effective leader, Elsa, without the ability to create space, not only to reflect, but to sleep well, to eat well, to take care of my body. We are not constructed to run on 100 million miles per hour and be expected to be thoughtful, Yeah. right? And I think so much of our space is built to say, well, things just move fast. Go ahead and be thoughtful. I'm like that doesn't, I don't believe those things exist or can coexist. Yeah. When you end your day and you ask repeatedly day after day, where did my day go? It's time to stop and really take account and figure out 
why you're doing what you're doing. I think there's a, a need to go beyond busyness and mm. really look at effectiveness and impact. And I'd be delighted to come back if you ever want to chat more about this and, and uh, exchange some more of our ideas. Elsa, I can't imagine not having you back. This is the beginning of a journey for me. I'm just really excited to, to chop it up with you, to converse in this way. I never would have imagined when I you know, came to Agility in January 2022 that, one, that I really would have started on my, my, my podcast. It had been a latent idea that the magic of the universe and people reaching out to me and my social media prowess is help introduce me to the right people. And so I'm grateful for that. And I'm just grateful for sharing, having space to share your wisdom with this audience. So thank you, Elsa. Thank you, Ron. What an honor. And congratulations on your podcast. Uh, I'm looking forward to listening to it uh, faithfully. And I'm sure it's going to be a wonderful gift that you're going to give the world. So congratulations on that. Thank you, Elsa. Well, fam, this is Ronderings. We got more truth nuggets to drop and truth bombs. So see you on the internet. Peace. Wow. Elsa dropped some diamonds to the Ronderings family. You know, there's something that Elsa said at the very end that was a reminder that I need to do it even more than I might do in my head and certainly not as much on paper, which is reflecting on my leadership practice. Hearing that that's something she's been doing since she's been a coach and getting to experience her magic of being able to coach because she has that daily reflection practice and is always thirsty to learn to get better in service of her clients, I, I thought was just really important to hear. So I'm going to take that with me. Ron Dering's fam, see you at the next episode.